0: Well, at this time we'll go ahead and dismiss the kids for their special program, and um, so morning church there for them. The children's church. We're actually going to begin a program this morning, introducing it to them. That nightly we'll do for for them. It's called Mission Incredible. Uh, even this afternoon, um, uh, we'll dismiss them for a special service with our team. I, I tell people it's often like a VBS, Vacation Bible School, if you can imagine that, in the summer. And um, But we're going to provide that nightly after the music of each service. And um, I realize, again, I could preach to kids ages maybe, you know, three to ninety-three, I guess you could say, but but you're going to miss somebody, you're going to lose somebody somewhere, and so therefore, it's always good to have a program like this where they can target it at that age group, and so hopefully, if you have kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, uh, invite them, neighbor kids, uh, that's going to be happening uh, nightly, and so we're looking forward to that. Take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter chapter 9, as we turn there. I'm reminded of a couple things, because as we, as we traveled back in the past, um, at some point, With a ministry team, I actually ended up um, here. I think we, I want to say in 2000 and maybe one of two, 2002, uh, we were with a ministry team. It wasn't Steve Pettit's team. I had been with him prior. And, um, and then um, a university in South Carolina, they said, hey, would you guys consider taking a musical ministry team out, and you'd be the preacher, Jeremy? And I said, well, that'd be great. And um, so I asked my wife. wasn't sure how she would, you know, what she would think about that. And actually, when I told her that evening, I think we were kind of in bed, and she, jumps in, she starts jumping on the bed, like all pumped about traveling. And I thought, wow, that's kind of crazy. I wasn't sure how she would respond. And the more we traveled, the more we realized we felt like the Lord has kind of gifted us and... Um, and equipped us that way to be on the road this way, I actually ended up traveling with Steve again, but during that time with with the um, with this musical ministry team before it was interesting. We had two hundred and fifty services uh, two hundred and fifty places that we were in in two different semesters so from from like August um, to may uh, that 's a lot of places, and we spanned um, uh, kind of, I'd say Midwest and Central U.S. as we were at different these places. But I remember one time in particular, and I was reminded because Pastor from last week, as we were with him a little bit on Friday, he all of a sudden says, "Oh, oh no!" as he's talking because his tooth he just cracked in half, and um, and it just like it broke apart in his mouth. He says it's like whoa, and um, and so he was he's not able to get in until later. So I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe he might have someone filling his pulpit this morning. But I thought about that and going, oh, has any of you ever had a tooth problem? I actually had that happen to me when I was traveling like this. We would have 10 services in a week, and then we'd hit a Friday. We have just that morning chapel, and then we'd have 24 hours off. And I was in Lima, Ohio, and I woke up that morning, and I could tell something was wrong. My mouth, I was starting to, as I spoke, I was kind of slurring in my speech, and I'm thinking, something's weird. It feels like it's swollen, and I'm like, what's wrong? By the time I finished that chapel, I knew something was wrong, and I, I asked them, do you have a dentist in your area? And they said, well, right over here is one, and so they pointed me to this, this dentist's office. I went in, and they checked out my tooth, and they said, Jeremy, you have a wisdom tooth that's impacted it said, "Really, you need to get it pulled, but because you're a walk-in, we can't do it." And so, but we can give you some medication that'll help you know, the swelling go down. But you really need to get it pulled. Well, I'm thinking, when am I going to get this thing pulled? I'm on the road all the time, you know, and and I've got that little gap of time of a 24-hour period. So it was the following week. We we're in a very rural town in Ohio. That as I'm talking to the the the, the school, I think administrator, as we had a chapel that morning. Um, I said, do you have a dentist in your area? And they said, well, yes, but he's like a World War II dentist. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know what that's supposed to mean. I'm thinking that's like, you know, World War II, that's like the greatest generation, you know, and he's been doing this for a long time. What do, you, what do they mean by that? They didn't tell me what they meant, what he meant, what they meant by that. I showed up that, um, that afternoon right after this chapel. I knew I was going to have 24 hours off before the next Sunday service, and so I thought this might be the best time, so I go in. And when I go in the, I meet the it's like a little house off of Main Street, I meet the dental assistant, slash secretary, slash probably janitor. I think she wore a lot of hats. Um she introduces me to the dentist. Actually I never saw the dentist's face. He always had a dental mask on. I honestly I wondered if he pulled it away if he even had teeth. I was I don't know, you know. <laughs> But he uh, sits me down in the chair and he he assessed my tooth and he says, well, yeah, it's this bottom one that's impacted. But what happens is the top one, when it hits it, it irritates it. So what we'll do is we'll pull the top tooth so it won't irritate that bottom tooth and you should be fine. I'm thinking like some of you are thinking. I'm thinking, wait a second, wouldn't you pull the tooth with the prop? I mean, uh, but then it was going to, have you ever been in one of those situations that goes too, a little too fast for you? And you're thinking, but he's like this, he's been doing this, this world. Uh, uh. And then all of a sudden, Novocaine starts going to my mouth. And, and I'm telling you, he was World War II. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm like, it was like a, I don't know, like some kind of a scary movie with a syringe in my mouth, you know. And then it's like, as he ah, feeling every bit of everything, in just moments he grabs dental pliers and starts to try to pull it out. I mean, it did, the Novocaine didn't even have time to, you know, numb anything. And, and I'm I, my head's on back and forth and back. He's wrestling with me, and he's sweating, and I'm definitely sweating. And and then in a moment he says, I'll try one more time. And all of a sudden he, you hear this loud crack, and he goes, got it. And he, and he pulls it out, and he says, that'll be $60. That's actually a great price to get a wisdom tooth pulled. I mean... Except for he pulled the wrong tooth. He pulled the the upper tooth, and it's really the bottom tooth. Well, you know, he stuffed gauze in my mouth, sat me up, and just said, that'll be $60, and you can go pay, and... And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm, I'm like, I'm ready to lose it. I think the trauma of everything. I said, I said, I think I'm going to throw up, you know. And he looks at me and sees how I'm, you know, turning green. And he's like, he throws me back into the chair. He, he goes over to the counter. He reaches. He grabs some smelling salt. He breaks it. He sticks it under my nose like I was some kind of boxer or something. And I'm going, <laughs> and then I go, <sighs> I kind of calm down. He says, when you're, when you're ready, you can go up to the front and pay. <laughs> I tell people, that was like the worst appointment ever. I wouldn't wish that appointment upon my enemy. I mean, it really was that bad. And it was probably two weeks later, I'm in a, we're at people's homes and, and people would host us so as we're staying at their home. This, this guy, as he comes back from work, I said, so what do you do for a living? And he says, I'm a dentist. I gave him a dirty look. <laughs> He's like, why are you looking at me that way? I said, well, let me tell you. And I told him the story. And he's going, oh, and he's kind of laughing. But he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Here's what he said to me. Come to my office tomorrow. I'll pull that real tooth, the tooth that has the problem. I'll do it for free. And I guarantee you won't have the same kind of an appointment. I said, I'll pray about it. (laughs) I mean, I really was like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, After prayer, uh, I uh, decided, you know, it's probably the smartest thing. So the next day I go there, and it's actually soothing music. I'm in this kind of waiting room. Hey, Mr. Frazier, come on in. I come in, and they assess the tooth. It's this bottom one. They put some numbing cream in. They're talking to me for a little while. And after they put the numbing numbing cream in, they begin to put the Novocaine in. But they put it in so slow, massaged it in. Honestly, I didn't really feel any kind of any needle prick even in the process. It's amazing. He, he, he numbed it. He waited a while, tapped on my tooth. Do you feel I feel that still. Okay, we'll wait a little longer. And then... Moments later, they come back and tap on I don't feel anything at all. They said, okay, it's time. And then in just a moment, they pulled it right out. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I had a good appointment at a dentist. I didn't know that was possible. Sorry if you're a dentist out there, okay? Uh, but I say this to say, here's scripture. I want you to take you to Hebrews chapter nine and look at verse 27. A verse that deals with appointments. As you look at verse 27, it is so clear As Scripture says in Hebrews 9, it says, "...and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation." Now, what is this talking about? It's interesting in verse 27, we see this whole idea of appointments. And again, some in our life are good and some are bad. But I'm telling you right here, the scripture is teaching us, God is teaching us about two appointments that you can't avoid. No matter who you are, you really can't avoid these appointments. And so why are they in here? Why does God tell us of these things? It's not because God is mean and hates us. No, God actually in his kindness is warning us to be prepared and so may God help us be prepared. Let me pray, and then we'll look into the Scriptures this morning. Father, we thank you so much, again, for all that you do. Stir our hearts. Lord, if there's somebody in here without Christ, and Lord, statistics would tell us there would be. So, God, I pray that that person would have come to understand who Jesus is, and they would humble themselves before this King of kings and Lord of lords. They would turn, repent of their sins, and trust in Christ alone as their Savior. And um, Father, I thank you so much for what you're going to do there, but I also pray for believers that you would stir our hearts, that we would better live for you in eternity. So, God, we thank you so much for what you're going to do. Use the word and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. As you look at the passage in verse 27, it says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die. Well, what's interesting is we kind of see this, it's like laid out so simply, and I would just simply say, really, what are these two appointments? Well, the first appointment is right there in verse 27. It's the appointment of death. You could say it this way. Number one, out of two main points, that's pretty easy. Number one is this. You have an appointment with death. Did you know that? I don't think that, I, I didn't see anyone go, oh, like, you know, what are you saying? I, okay, I'm out of here. This guy, this preacher's preaching heresy. I'm never going to die, you know. So, yeah, no, every. I think all of us know this. It's so simple. We understand that. You could even say it this way. Death is universal, isn't it? It's all, It spans all ages and all cultures. Really, the truth is anybody who's living will one day die. I mean, sometimes in life, I think of um, a number of years ago where it just it seemed to, there's so many it's almost like a season of death you ever face those where where it's like at the beginning of the summer my my one grandma died grandma Frazier. um right after that um a friend of ours Jonathan Hamilton some of you guys know Ron and Shelley Hamilton that's my home church and you know, their son um passed away um had 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 medication and he he something had happened. Uh, years ago when he had taken some medication it really affected him it changed everything and then they were trying to figure it out through medication try to work it through and i can't, i think i want to say just a number of years he struggled with it and to the point of in a low of a low he he committed suicide it devastated our church it devastated many people many people still we still pray for the hamiltons I think of actually that summer was a summer too where where um, many of you know Chad and Courtney Phelps or remember that that group coming back from Kobiak and making their way down um, to Indianapolis. There was a friend of mine and his wife, and their, their um, she was one month from delivery and uh, they normally could even rescue a child in an accident like that, but it was just so tragic, and they died plus someone who helped within the church with that with the, with that trip and it just when I thought about that, then the end of summer, my grandma, my other grandma died. I just was thinking, man, it's just like it's it's just, it's interesting how you go through seasons of death, and the truth is, it can span all ages. A little infant can die. Um, someone, a, t- a teenager can die an adult can die a senior senior citizen can die i mean you look at all this and we all know this it's not it doesn't take us by surprise to know this and but the truth is 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 we kind of say where did this all come from i mean scripture tells us that that yes it's appointed to man once to die so we know this is going to happen but what's interesting is in romans chapter 5 verse 12 it says this wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin therefore death passes upon all men And why? Because all have sinned. This is the big dilemma. This is the big problem of life. We've all broken God's laws. When we think of Adam and Eve, here they were in the perfect place. And honestly, no sin. They were in the paradise of God. And, and yet in the midst of all of that, there's one rule, and they, they rebel against God. They choose to go against God their own way. Ever since that happened, guess what? You could call it the great rebellion, and guess what? Everyone who's ever been born since Adam and Eve have been born rebellious. We've been born sinful. I tell people if you don't realize that, then if you don't realize kids are born that way, then you probably have never had kids. <laughs> or... Um, as my friend Steve Pettit would say, he'd say, or, or you've never worked in a church nursery with a long-winded preacher. Because you'll realize real quickly that kids are born bad. They do wrong. They're cute little pagans, aren't they? But they, they sin. You don't have to teach them how to lie. Let me tell you how to lie. Let me show you how to steal. You don't have to, no, they, they, it's amazing. It's just within their nature. And we need to be delivered, and so therefore it's passed upon all men because everybody's sinned. So here we are. We've all broken God's laws. We need to be delivered because when you sin against a holy God, an eternal God, there's an eternal punishment for our sin. this is a major dilemma, and all of us face this because we've all said things we wish we could take back. We've all done things we wish we didn't do. We've all broken God's laws in some form or fashion, and yet you can even sin with your mind. Even Jesus says, you know, the whole idea of you should never commit adultery, but if you even even think about it, even if it's within the mindset, therefore, he's, he, what does he say? You've committed adultery already in your heart. You can actually think evil and sin in your mind. You could be sitting here in a service sinning while the preaching is going on. It's amazing, and yet you think about how we have all broken his laws. Death is universal, but it's also not final. I mean, that's why when we all know the verse Romans six twenty three for for this whole idea of, of for the wages of sin is death, the payment of our sin it is death. But wait a second. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you realize that's paralleled with death? Eternal life. You really could say this, for the wages or payment of sin is death, but the, or, or is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I mean, this is the problem. You could say this, death is not annihilation, but it's separation. i met people that say this, well, you know, you live and you die, so you might as well live it up. No, actually, you will live somewhere for all eternity. And the Bible speaks of two places that can be. One is heaven and one is hell. Actually, the Bible never speaks of purgatory. That's man-made. So you've got this, two, this whole idea. And actually, we know this. Luke 16, Jesus made it very clear about the rich man and Lazarus. And where you go, you spend eternity there. You don't go from one to the other and work your way into the other. And so that's a big deal. So you better be prepared. You could also say it this way. There is a danger in death if you're without Christ. Because apart from Christ, the Messiah, the the, the one that's the perfect sacrifice, you will face an eternity away from him, separated from him. This is called hell. Hell. You consider this, the danger and death without Christ, eternal separation from God forever. Can I just tell you that if you're here today and you're without Christ, there should be a sense of a holy, reverential fear of going, where will I spend eternity? And I better make sure with every effort that I'm not going down there. When you consider this, that's why you could say a person who begins to understand this and realizes they're in sinful condition, they say, I don't want anymore. They obey what Jesus said. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. And so there's a sense of going, I don't want my sins. I'm turning from my sin to the Savior. I want the Savior to rescue me. And trusting in Christ, that Savior, as your your payment for sin, as your Lord, as your Savior, you embrace Christ with your life. But there are some of you probably in this room that have never done that. You say, well, I I believe Jeremy and Jesus. So do the demons... It's not an intellectual belief in Christ alone. You must understand him up here, but it must sink down deep into the heart, into the life where you're saying, I don't want my sin. I need Christ. I'm trusting in and upon the Savior to rescue me. And when you look at this, you could say a person who's done that, that guess what? There's a delight in death for those who are in Christ. Think about what even scripture says. It's the gift of God. God gives you a gift and it's eternal life and you get it through Christ. Not just that, think about this, even to the criminal on the cross, what did Jesus say? He said, behold, today you will be with me where? In paradise, that's good. When I consider even first, I think about the Philippians 121, for to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Yeah, it's better. And then you consider how, how even the Apostle Paul said death is swallowed up in victory, so the truth is, if you're in Christ, it sounds so crazy, but, but the reality is, is Jesus is the one who did this and made it possible for you to be rescued. Well, what a difference it makes. I mean, again, danger and death, but delight in death for a believer. I don't have to worry and go, man, I wonder where I'm going to go when I, when I die. Because Christ has, has paid that penalty for me. He's my Messiah. He's the substitute for me. He's the perfect sacrifice. Now to see that, even within this passage, back up to verse 20. In Hebrews 9, verse 20, it says, Saying this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Now again, he's going to pull you back. The writer of Hebrews is doing this. If you don't have a, an Old Testament um, um, understanding, you, you're going to struggle reading Hebrews but as you as you gather this it's not hard to understand because you've got this Old Testament sacrifice and the system the so he's saying this, this blood is a testament which God hath enjoined. Now look at verse 21. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Now that's what they would do. They would dip the, the hyssop or the branches and they would sprinkle things. They would dip their tips of their fingers at times and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices. Those sacrifices had to be spotless and pure. They couldn't have blemishes on them. So all of this was ceremonially cleansing these utensils to be used in the, well, the temple of God. But then it's interesting, watch the verse 22, the second part. And without shedding of blood is no remission. That means there's no forgiveness apart from the blood. Now, you look even further, verse 23, and it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So there's a better sacrifice. What is it? Here it is. Who is it? Verse 24, for Christ. That's who this sacrifice is. The very Messiah is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. That was a, a once-a-year custom of the high priest to do this, and there's constant daily sacrifices going on all the time. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. It was all symbolic, teaching us the, the reality and the, 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 the horridness of our own sin and the blood sacrifice that needed to be made. Now, again, when you look at this, watch this. But now, in verse 26, "...once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, a once for all, and it is as, as it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many." This is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, he came and as he, as he died on the cross, the reality is why he wasn't dying for his sins. He, he who knew no sin became sin for us. This is the greatest, the greatest love and kindness that God showed all mankind, that he would actually die in our place. I could die for you. I could push you out of the way. This morning I have a vehicle in the parking lot of some sort. I get run over. I get killed. It would do you no good because, because I'm a sinner, You need the perfect sinless sacrifice of God. That's why when you sin against an eternal God, there is an eternal punishment. But praise God for his eternal sacrifice. It was so clear that that here's Jesus who rose from the dead. We look at all this and go, whoa, that's an amazing thing. So I guess my question to you this morning is, are you ready for this appointment? If you were to die today, can you honestly say, well, I know that I'm going to go to heaven. And it's not, you say, well, Jeremy, you can't know that. It's like arrogant for you to say that. No, 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 it's not because scripture even says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. So the reality is you could know that today. If you're here today without Christ, you know what? It's our prayer that you would humble yourself before this King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that you would respond to the message and you would turn to Christ and Him alone. You don't add to His sacrifice. You don't take away from the sacrifice. It's the sacrifice and that sacrifice complete. That's why, that's why we don't trust in baptism to get us to heaven. Because it's Jesus. That's why we don't trust in going to church to get us to heaven. Because it's Jesus. I mean, all of this, when we consider our good works, they're like filthy rags to God. We need His great work. We need the Messiah. And so this is what's an amazing truth. There's that appointment. It's called death. Are you ready for that one? Let me show you something else real quick. In verse 28, or verse 27, as we see this appointment of death, but notice the second part of the verse, but after this, the judgment. You could say it simply this way, you have an appointment with death, yes, but number two, you have an appointment with God, Every last one of us are going to stand before God and give an account of our life. Now, this is interesting because when we consider this idea of judgment, Scripture speaks of two kinds of judgment. There's a judgment for those who are not in Christ, those who have never been saved, you could say. We'd call these people non-Christians, Okay, but we have to understand what the word Christian even means. We would call them lost people that need to be found in Christ, and that's all of us before we're born from God. But what's interesting is there's a judgment for those people. Actually, take your Bible, and we'll move quickly, so this will help us stay alert with this. But, but in, in Revelation 20, take your Bible and go there for just a second. Just listen to this. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Now, this is a judgment really for lost people. It comes to the very end of the tribulational period, and 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 you've got this whole idea of this that that not only is it a tribulational period, but then you have the millennial reign that you'll have. It's a thousand year reign. At the very end of that, there's an uprising, and then the Lord just he just he just he brings it all down. That you could say there, the devil, the false prophet, the the beast, all are into the lake of fire at that point. In verse ten, you see, but verse eleven, look at this. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. This great, majestic, holy scene in heaven, and yet nothing could could come close to this. It's, it's again the, just the radiance of His glory. Everything flees from this. Verse twelve. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the book was uh, uh, the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Now, at first glance, you go, "Oh, their works. So if my works are better." No, no, actually all of them are found deficient because their works are not enough. You could never earn it. They all end up in the same place. Look, look further. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is so serious. This is, this, this should so stir our hearts, even as believers. I mean, cause as a believer, I'm not going there to the great white throne. This is for lost people. But I want to warn my friends and family, and, and maybe you could say even your enemies or neighbors, whatever. You just, you want to tell everyone, warn them, don't go there. No, you can be rescued. But the truth is, if you die without Christ, you will stand before God, give an account of your life, and that's, that's pretty sobering. But there's, But praise God, there's another judgment. And this one's called the judgment seat of Christ. Or maybe you could call the Bema seat, actually. Or some even say the Bema, you could say it. But take your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians for just a moment. Chapter 3. We're almost done here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What I want you to see here is, is what is this whole idea, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, Now, Paul actually told us in the book of 2 Corinthians that that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he says this to believers, to Christians, to the church in Corinth. But but we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. Here's Here's what we read from Paul. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. Now this is interesting, because I feel like so often in the past this, is, this has been mistaken or, or, or sometimes mispreached. And when you consider this whole idea of what's the Bema seat about or what's this judgment seat about, can I remind you, this is not a place where you'll be judged for your sins. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, if you've been born from God, you say, Jeremy, how can you be so confident? Well, Romans 8 verse 1 says says what? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What, what is that saying? If you're in Christ, the payment has been paid for. You, you might well say, well, then, I mean, Jeremy, I mean, if, if that's the case, I could go live as I want as a, as a Christian. And I'll just, you know, go live in my sin. I mean, i get my fire escape from hell. No, actually, if you're even thinking that, then you're probably not a Christian. because that's Because a Christian is saying, God's rescued me from all this. Why do I want to go back to it? And so he gives you new desires, a new heart. But you consider this, then, then you say, well, then what's this about? If we're not judged for our sin, what's the point of the judgment seat of Christ? What is it about? Well, actually, it's found in verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. This day shall declare it. It's going to be revealed by fire. It'll try your works. It's going to show us, really. You could say, what's that mean? You could say, the Bema is a place of examination where you as a believer will be examined before God and your life will be examined, how did you live? Now the truth is, you might live to be really old, you might not, you were not promised tomorrow. That's why we don't know. We live each day for eternity, but your life will be examined. And, and then you look at this whole idea of, of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble, or straw. The idea there is, is that in a fire? What happens to wood, hay, and straw? It's like, it's like pfft, in a moment, it's burned up. But the gold, silver, precious stones would last. Actually, you think about gold and silver, particularly, it's like it's purified in the fire. It's like all the dross and all the grossness is there, and it's scooped off the top. It's like, it's amazing the purity that's going on. What is God doing? God is actually showing us. We're actually, these things are being revealed before us, you know, and, and the Lord. It's like our life is examined, But why? It's not for the purpose of judgment. It's actually for the purpose of reward. Look at verse fourteen. Again, if any man's work abide which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a what? Reward. I mean, the whole point here is that this is a place of great reward. This is, this is the Olympic athlete. When I consider these two th- ideas of the BIMA, you know, okay, one is this, is that you've got the one guy who's, who, who stands up there at the, at the Olympic podium, and actually back in that day, the Isthmian Games, the same way, they would lean forward if they won, and they would receive their reward. Now, that was a pine wreath, a garland of some sort that faded away quickly. But you think about the Olympians who re- lean forward and get their reward, and here's a gold medal that cost about $125. It's a lot of work for that. And the truth is you consider this, and yet we, an eternal reward... Here are these eternal rewards from the Lord, and, and we look at this, and it's, again, for all eternity. This is the moment, but this is for eternity. So why do we live our life? We live our life because we know we're going to be examined and rewarded by the Lord. Even Paul stood at a bema at some point, and, and he's standing there, and Felix is asking him questions. He's, on the, he's at the bima. He's, he's being examined. And yet he's, he says, because he says I, I believe in the resurrection of the just and the unjust, and because I believe these things, you know what he says? He says, I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. I know I'm going to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to make sure that I'm right with God and people. So he lives this way and exercise you don't exercise once a month. I mean, you can. It just hurts. But if you exercise on a consistent basis, what happens? It actually you're better for it in the process, aren't you? So, you consider this in Paul's exercising his conscience to be void of offense. Is there anything between you and God? Is there anything between you and others? As you consider these things, we should humble ourselves. Now, I think about this whole idea of reward Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, Jesus says, to give to every man according to his work shall be. That's for believers. We're going to be rewarded. So the reality is we look at this and go, okay, as a Christian, I should, I, this, that should motivate me, shouldn't it? There sh- should be the sense of going, okay, I want to be right with God and others. I, I want to seek rewards for the sake of his glory, not my own, because it's not about me. In the end, we cast them at his feet anyway. I-, I want to seek to reach the lost for their good and for God's glory. I, I want to seek total commitment to Christ. But how often are we really not ready i mean I, could could you imagine isn't it amazing when you take a test and you're ready? you studied, but how awful it is to take a test and not to be ready. This is no test. This is your life. Don't waste it. I consider that I think about in the summers at times we we were in our trailer and we were um northeastern Wisconsin. And we knew relatives were coming, and I told the kids this: "Hey, hey, boys! You know Clay wasn't born yet. Hey, boys! Hey, um, the cousins are coming today, and they're coming from South Bend, Indiana. And, and so, uh, anyway, you need to—we need to clean the trailer. So you got to clean your room. Oh, they're all excited. They run in and clean the room. Okay, yes, sir. You know, whatever they clean. The room. That's not normal. Normally, they're like, you know. But they were so excited because because someone they knew who they loved was coming." When I consider this, I'm going, wait, isn't that the way we should be as believers? We know he's coming. We should live every day. We don't know when it will be. So we live each day for eternity. This is a, a constant reminder. Now, as we conclude, it's right here. Look at this. Look at, look at Hebrews where we started. Because we finish off looking at this passage. Hebrews 9, verse 27. And as it is appointed, I'll read this as you're turning. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Now, watch this. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's coming. He's coming again. He, he didn't lie the first time he came, just like prophecy said, and the prophecies will be fulfilled again in his return. He told us he's coming again. That's why we, as believers, we don't sit idly by, going, "I wonder when he's going to come." No, we are we're at work because God's at work in us. This should so motivate motivate us as believers to live life for eternity. How are you doing? Are we really living each day that way? Because I so often find that we need to be reminded of this. That's why here it is in scripture. God and his love is saying, hey, these are two appointments you can't avoid. Can I tell you this? They could be the greatest appointments ever or they could be the most tragic and awful appointments. So God puts it in here that we would be ready. May God help us be ready.